thank you for preparing that video. I did not prepare that video. Um, man, I'm glad it, it ends with like a, a happy, funny thing. So I was starting to get sad there with the, uh, with the memories. Like, man, I said myself I wasn't going to get like really, really sad until later. But thank you for that video, guys. I really appreciate that. Sorry, Jerry, I'm going to move your stuff a little bit. And, um, and it can't hold the weight of my Bible. <laughs> so we're just going to go with that. Um, yeah, guys, I am so happy to be up here uh, preaching live. Um, it feels wonderful. I can, if anything, these last three months that I've learned is I can preach to a live audience, but I cannot preach to a camera, as you guys saw in the bloopers. And thank God Pastor Jason cut those clips where he did, because he might have said some things that weren't suitable for all listeners um, in there. It's really hard. I'm so happy to see everyone here today. I'm so happy that we're reopening our doors, that our leadership is taking very precautionary and very safe steps into reopening our church, because I really appreciate this. I really enjoy this, and I'm sure that you do, too. And for those that are watching uh, online, I'm going to ask that you please probably just be really patient with us, patient with those running the tech in the back of the room. It's probably going to take us, I'm sure, a couple weeks to kind of figure out how this video and audio equipment works for the live streaming. Uh, so it might take a while for us to produce the kind of quality video online that we were doing with pre-recorded services. So we just ask that you continue to be patient with us. I'm so happy that you are joining uh, us online. We're going to start with just our usual shout here, which is, uh, what do we do? And what do we say? I love God, and I love you. Thank you, church. Always feels good to, to hear that. So aside from just being really excited that we reopened our doors this morning, again, just likewise sad that this will be the final time that I get to teach you from God's Word. And you can imagine, like me preparing this sermon, my last sermon, everything that I would love to tell you, I cannot do in a 25-minute window. I just can't. And so what I'll be doing in the next couple of weeks, I don't have them today, but in the next like four, five, six weeks, I'm going to have cards for everybody, and I'll have them on the welcome desk, okay? And when you see them, find your name or your family's name and, and take it home with you. If you're watching online and you're not going to be able to come to church, whatever cards are still there, I will make sure get mailed to you. So one way or another, I will make sure my words get to you. Uh, through the form of these cards. Um, now, in today's uh, sermon, it's um, difficult to to come up with all the words that I want to say because of all the great memories that I, I share with you guys. Um, it's crazy to think like how far that I've come that, you know, for eight plus years, some of you guys have known me for like eight years. Like I was thinking just the other day, I was talking to uh, Isaiah, and I was like, Isaiah, I don't know if you know this, but I showed up to First Harvest Chapel like just a few months after Jerry and Youngjin like came. Like best family's known me forever. Some families have known my wife longer than I've known my wife. You know, like I've been here so long that like the some of the friends that I have that I, I hang out with on a daily basis or I grab lunch with them used to be students in my youth group. I was talking to Brandon. Uh, was it Saturday or Friday? I was like, I, I see Brandon every single day. I, I can't believe that at one time he was a freshman or sophomore in my youth group, and now we're like friends. 
You know, I got to have my bachelor party in, in Vegas with a lot of the men from church, and we lost Danny in Vegas. You know, we're trying to figure out how we're going to explain to Jeannie that we lost her husband. I mean, just crazy stuff like that. I mean, Yuli gave me my first surfboard. Or no, yeah, Charles gave me. Sorry, forget that. Charles gave me my first surfboard, but Yuli taught me how to surf it. And then Dwight gave me my first driver club for golf, and I learned to swing it as bad as Jason. Not true. I swing it as bad as Al. He knows that. But the point is, there's a passage I want to share with you real quick. Um, it's from 1 Thessalonians 2.8 that I think captures the heart that I have and Francis has for you. And let me read it for you real quick. It says, And we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you have become so dear to us. It's never about me being a pastor. It's never about me just getting to preach from God's word. It was about me getting to share my life with you. It was about you getting to share your life with me. And of all the memories that, that I do want to share, there's, there's one in particular that I, I have to, to share, and that's, um, and I'm so thankful that he's here today, and that's Matt Hagihara. Matt has been meeting up with me nonstop for eight years, every week, and I totaled it. That's 417 weeks that he's met with me. 417 appointments and meetups with me okay, to keep me accountable of the sins that I struggle with and to encourage me in my faith. I think about how much time did he give me and how much of his life did he, did he share with me. And it caused me to think about all of you guys, how much of your own lives have you shared with me. I, I love you and I so appreciate the time that you have given me. And even before I jump into what I've prepared today, I have to take sermon time to say this. Okay? It's your fault. You're to blame and you're responsible for making me the pastor that I am today. And you might not think that, you may not even agree with what I'm saying right now, but you really did have a hand, a huge hand, in making me the preacher, the pastor, that I am today. Jericho Road Church is responsible for that. And I share that because you need to see that God is working through this church. I need you to understand, and I need you to not be quick to overlook how God is working in this church through you. To have made me a preacher and a pastor and now in love send me to Tennessee to continue the work that I have gotten to do here. And what's great is you guys now have two new young pastors with you now. Pastor Jason and also Pastor Trevor. And if I can do a quick ask here at the beginning is I would ask you to support Trevor and Jason like you supported me. I would ask you to invite these two pastors over to dinner like you invited me over to dinner. I want you to invite them to your kids' activities like you invited me to your kids' activities. In short, I want you guys to create more pastors. And you have now another opportunity to do that with Jason and with Trevor. And I really hope, church, that you continue this faithful work. So, final sermon, final words. Just for a second, can you put yourself in my shoes? 
okay? Pretend that you are going to leave your child, your grandchildren, your spouse, someone that means a lot to you. What final words of wisdom would you leave a person? What would be the last bit of counsel and advice? What's the best piece of advice you would give somebody? Wouldn't you think very carefully about what you would say? I have thought very carefully about what I would say, and that's why I've called my sermon okay, a, a pastor's greatest wish for his church. You know what my greatest wish for you is? To seek fellowship with God through his word and prayer. That if I could ask of anything of you and from you, I would ask you to please be pursuing, be seeking fellowship with God through his word. Now, the Apostle Paul, he wrote many letters to several churches. He was a pastor to many churches. And when you read his letters, you don't just see how he feels about his churches. If you pay close attention, you feel deep things that Paul felt for his church. He really loved his churches. And I want to share with you one excerpt to a letter wrote to the Ephesians that I think really captures the heart of a pastor for his church. Let me read it for you. Ephesians 3.14 For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that, and I highlight, so that, anytime you see so that, that means for this purpose, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length, height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I just kind of point out these things. What does Paul want to sow that? Okay, Paul, who loves his church, me, who loves this church, I want Christ to dwell in your heart. I want everyone here to comprehend the fullness of God, height, depth, length, width, and I want you guys to know that Christ loves you. At the end of the day, where is this all going? Well, I want you to know, what every pastor wants you to know is that Jesus loves you. I want you to know that. And that's what Paul wrote here. And I don't know if you guys catch this, but he is praying on his knees. You see that at the very beginning of this text? This pastor is on his knees because of how important this is. Let me ask you, has anyone here ever prayed on their knees? When you pray on your knees, like you don't always do that, but we tend to pray on our knees when it's something that's hugely important, right? I'll share this. I mean, one of the things that caused me to fall on my knees, to pray on my knees, is the day I found out that Brian Chong had cancer. Okay. Many people wrongly assume that us as pastors, that we're emotionally invincible. Let me just tell you that that's not true. When I heard that news, I fell on my knees pray to God because of how important Brian and Sarah are to me. When something is important to you, you will pray on your knees because it's that important to you. For Paul, he 
prays on his knees so that his church would ultimately experience fellowship with God. That's what he means by Christ dwelling in your heart, by you comprehending the things of God, you knowing the love of Christ. That gets all captivated in this one wish that I have for you, and that's to seek fellowship with God. And so much, I would come on my knees, guys, and I would pray this for you, because you are that important to me. Now, there's a great question I want to ask you guys about this text. Paul here is praying that they have fellowship with God, but this letter is written to Christians. Don't they already have fellowship with God? Right? I mean, think about this. I want you, I'm standing up here on stage, I'm saying, what I want most for you is I want you to I want you to have fellowship with God. Don't you already have fellowship with God if you're a believer? So my question to you is, does it make any sense to ask for something that you already have? Right? It doesn't make much sense to ask for something that you already have. So yes, here's the thing. On one level, you do have fellowship with God. But on a more honest level, we're not all experiencing fellowship with God then. If we're really honest with ourselves. And it's this idea that, and I forget if it's John Calvin, John Edwards, one of these famous old pastors, they said that we as Christians, we're like rich people who live poorly. That you and I, we have these resources, but are we using these resources? We have fellowship with God, but are we tapping into fellowship with God? Right? We, we have God's we have God's word. We have access to his very voice. And yet, five minutes of reading before we go to sleep isn't fellowship with God. Understand that your words, your prayers, are capable of piercing through heaven, reaching the very ears of the king who sits on the throne of the universe. And yet, we just pray over our meals. That's not fellowship with God. So when I'm standing here and I'm talking about what I want all of us to be seeking fellowship with God, I'm not talking about knowing about God or knowing God. I mean it's so much more concrete and so much more practical. I mean in encountering God. I mean experiencing God through his word and through his prayer like it's a real relationship. We make time for it and we enjoy it and we savor it and we allow it to change us. So many of us, we're rich, but we live poorly. We have these amazing riches in Christ, and yet we do not use them. And so I want to show you here in this text what, what Paul is doing. Because he's going to ask, like, why, why is it that this is our situation? Why do we have these resources and we're not using them? Why do we have fellowship with God and yet we're not experiencing fellowship with God? And that's because here in Ephesians 3, it's going to start with, where does Christ need to dwell? You read the text there, I underlined it there for you. Does he pray on his knees so that Christ may dwell on your bookshelf? Or that Christ may dwell even just on, in your mind and in your opinion? Or your Facebook status? Where does he need to dwell? In your heart. It has to start with your heart. And until we take these truths of God 
and they go from our mind into our heart, okay, we will never have fellowship with God. Not really experiencing fellowship with God. Because we will never comprehend. That's where it leads to. Christ dwells in your heart, and then you comprehend. Okay, so this is a different word. This isn't the word to know. Right? In this Greek word, it means to grasp. It means to capture, be captured by. To comprehend God who dwells in your heart. So I'll tell you, so many atheists, they will, they'll never believe in God. You know why? Because the mind will always reject what the heart already says is false. There'll be many Christians who have been unable to leave their sinful habits. While they know it's not from God, they know they shouldn't do it, it's morally wrong. But in their hearts, they are captivated, they are grasped, they comprehend sin. So until Christ dwells in our heart, we will never comprehend. But if Christ, if we allow him to dwell in our hearts, we will comprehend, and this is the greatest part, then we will know the love of Christ. Then we will know the love of Christ. And let me tell you here, there's a difference between knowing the love of Christ and knowing the love of Christ. When I was young, I think I was probably your, your age, Jacob. In Mexico, there's this uh, pepper called a chitapine, where you make really hot salsa with. Now, did I know that chitapines are spicy? I knew. But I'll tell you, I didn't know until I ate one. And literally, I had to have the garden, garden hose open, and I'm just putting my tongue out and letting the water run down my tongue. That's when I knew chitapines were spicy. Christ, if Christ dwells in your heart and you comprehend what is written in here, let me tell you, you won't just know that Jesus loves you. You know what you'll do? You will know that Jesus loves you. How? How do we know? How, how do I get us to this point? It's two things. It's very simple. Hear from God and respond to God. That's it. If you're going to have Christ dwell in your heart, if you're going to comprehend his love, and if you're going to understand that Jesus loves you, you have to hear his voice and you have to respond. No other verse captured this better than, than Revelation 3.20. Let me read it for you real quick. It says here, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Let me tell you, this verse, you know, often gets used in evangelism. Uh, a lot of people like to use this verse as, uh, you need to ask Jesus into your heart, okay? which is a great idea, but wrong hermeneutics. That's not what this passage teaches. This is not a passage about evangelism. You know what this passage is about? fellowship, right? What's Christ want to do in this verse? He wants to come through your doors, just like your doors at home. He wants to sit down with you at the dinner table, and he wants to break bread with you. What does that look like? What is that called? Fellowship. And look what it says. It says, if anyone, what? Hears my voice. 
You have to hear his voice, and then you have to respond. You actually have to do something in return. You hear his voice, and you open the door. You hear his voice, and you respond. How do you hear God's voice? That would be this guy. Now, while God isn't limited to the pages of Scripture, what is the primary way that he talks to you and I? Just through the Bible. If we're going to hear from God, we have to hear. Hear. Right here. Right here we need to hear. You know, I've gotten to do a lot of fun and amazing things with, with the youth group over the eight years. Okay, but I'll tell you, this has been the best thing that I've done for the youth group. Okay, this is what's called a hear journal. It's called a hear journal. And we started this in January. Okay, and literally what it does for, for us okay, is it takes us through one chapter of the Bible a day. Just one chapter of the New Testament, and then we journal on it. Okay? Do you know why it's called a here journal? Because we open our, our Bibles, we want to hear from God. Okay, its purpose is that it, it's in the name. We have here journals because we open our Bibles, we meet with God, every day because we are hoping to hear something from God today. Do you ever feel like that in your life? Do you ever just feel like, God, I wish I could hear God today. I wish God would just say something today. I wish God would speak to me today. And he can, and he's willing if we open up the scriptures. If we hear from God. That's why I say we seek fellowship with God through his word. And then how do we respond? We call that prayer. Prayer is the way we talk to God. The Bible is the way that God talks to us. And that's called a relationship. And the more times that we get to sit down okay, and hear his voice and open the door, every time you hear his voice and open the door, what does he promise to do? Come in to you and eat with you. And then the next day comes up. He says, if you hear my voice and you open the door, what does God promise he will do for you? He will come in to you and he will eat with you. Guys, this, this is my greatest ask, my, my greatest plea, is for all of you here to seek fellowship with God through his word and through prayer. That's my big idea for today. One of the quotes that I want to share with you is, is a quote from a man named John Lennox. Many of you guys don't know who John Lennox is, but he's an emeritus professor at Oxford University. He's probably one of the biggest and brightest minds when it comes to mathematics, philosophy of science. This guy, he knows everything. Let me just share with you what he said. So he was asked in an interview, John, uh, you have several grandchildren, several children. What would be your final words of wisdom to your children? This is what he said. Our lives rush past. We've become fixated on digital equipment that's robbing us of time. People say to me, I've no time. But the truth is, they have loads of time. If you want to know how much time you've got, ask yourself this simple question. How much time have I spent last week fiddling with a piece of digital equipment or doing things that have 
no relevance whatsoever to my profession or my life, and then ask yourself, do I have time? It says here, we are robbing ourselves of the most important thing in life if we're Christians, and that is seeking fellowship with God through his word. Because I've never been afraid to be honest and transparent with you. But I, I have been robbing myself of spending time with God. I have been robbing and stealing time from me that I could be spending with God. I could be meeting with God. I could be encountering. And I can't answer this for you, but you can answer this for yourself. Are you robbing yourself also? Are you robbing yourself of the most important thing if you're a Christian, and that's fellowship with God? It's so easy, right, all of us, to be captivated by our phones, by TV, Netflix, emails, work, video games. And it's, it's robbing us of time. And I, I, I have said those very words, I have no time, I have no time, I have no time. And the, the truth of the matter is I have loads of time. John Lennox, brilliant man, he knows he's right. Guys, when are we going to stop? When are we going to stop robbing ourselves of spending time with the most important person that we need to be spending time with? I think about this, and I want you to imagine this with me if you can. Now, God forbid, but if you died right now, and you appeared before God in heaven, and you never spent time with him, what would you talk about? What would you say to him? I worry about, about that for me. I worry about that for you. And this isn't meant to, to sound anything accusatory. Right. If anyone here who really knows Jimmy Davis, then you know that I love you. God is my witness knows that I love you. But I want you guys to think strongly about what I'm talking about this morning because these are my, my final words, my, the greatest words that I can leave you with. How is your fellowship with God through his word and through prayer? And will you stop robbing yourself of that opportunity and stop stealing from yourself the most important relationship that you can have. I'm going to invite the, the band up at this time and as they uh, will come up here in a minute here, I guess I'm in Jerry's spot. They're going to play a song um, for us and it's a song that I, I purposely asked Jerry to do. And in this song, the reason why I'm choosing is I want you guys to do something a little different for me. A final favor to me. I want you to read the lyrics. And if the words that you see on the screen truly reflect what's in your heart, then I don't want you to just sing them. I want you to make it a confession. Like I don't want you to just see them as lyrics. But if you read what's on the screen, would you sing it like it's a promise? A promise that you're going to make to God today. A promise 
to let Christ dwell in our hearts and a promise to start seeking fellowship with him through his word and through prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for this church that is my family, this church that is my heart. Like the Apostle Paul, I would more than happy fall on my knees and pray for them because they're that important to me. And I would beg with them and I would plead with them and I would wrestle with them that they would seek fellowship with their God. That they won't just say that they they have fellowship with God, but that they actually are experiencing fellowship with God. That they won't just be rich people living like poor people, Lord, but that we would be rich people living in the riches of God. I hope, Lord, that they see you, that they wait upon you, that they long to speak with you, or that they carve time to hear from you. I want us all to hear from God, and I want them to hear from you. Lord, I pray, Lord, now as we sing this final song, Lord, that we won't just sing meaningless words, but that we would pay close attention to what we're singing. And may our words, may our words be a promise that we're making to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.